chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. As soon as you find your place, please join me by standing. Luke chapter number 15. We're going to read more verses than we would normally read together. I'll read verse number 11. Please join me in verse number 12. Uh, and every other verse until we close together at verse number 24. Luke 15, 11. The Bible says, and he had, and he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said unto his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divideth unto them his living. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to be married. On Sunday morning for the past six weeks, now seven, we have studied on the life in Christ, what it means to come to faith in Christ, what does it mean after we're saved, what does our Christian life look like, what should we expect. I want to talk to you this morning, and I think of an important subject uh, sometime a couple years ago. We were delighted to have a uh, sharp young couple, and we're still in contact with them today, uh, but came and for a while were a part of this ministry, stayed for a very little while, but then they left the ministry because they said, Pastor, you are preaching on repentance, and we don't believe in repentance is a biblical doctrine. Uh, the Bible does say in Luke 13, 3, except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. But I do believe that we need to understand what is a biblical view of repentance. So I want to talk to you about that this morning. Repentance. What does the Bible say about repentance? And have we repented? Do we need to repent? Do Christians repent? And that was this man said to me, uh, that is no such thing as a Christian repenting. Uh, and so let's look at it in the Word of God, not my word versus anybody else's. Let's look into the Word of God. Father, we come to you this morning. We ask you to work in our hearts today. I want to be bound by thy word. And Father, I, I understand this, that I one day will give an account for every word that is taught and preached from this pulpit. And I want to be doctrinally correct. And Father, I don't want to give to these dear people what I think. I want it 
uh, them to hear, thus saith the Lord. And so speak to us through thy word and move us by thy spirit. If there is one here today that has never repented and turned to, uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and to be saved, I pray they do that this morning. But for the rest of us who have made that decision, help us to understand this biblical doctrine of repentance and how it plays out in our Christian faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
Thank you, ladies. Your Bible back to Luke chapter number 15. I say this, sometimes I joke about this. I'm dead serious about this this morning. The Denver Broncos started a half an hour ago. I pray, I mean this seriously, I pray your device is not hooked to a game right now. I mean that. Uh, if coming to church means nothing more than your presence, uh, no football game in the world, Super Bowl included, we don't... We don't move our services for Super Bowl Sunday. Um, and I mean that seriously. I, I hope that you'll do that. A biblical view of repentance. Stay with me. I love great men. And I, one of the things about the Bible college where I went to, uh, some of the men that you read their, your, their books, they're in your libraries, I got to hear teach and preach. But I saw something I think was the devil used, and it wasn't of God. Good men. If I named their name, many of you would know the names, and I won't name their names. Good men had a theological fight over repentance. When I went to Bible college in 1952, they had a a fight over repentance. One of my favorite preachers, I remember coming to the pulpit of Hiles Anderson, and, and he just tore some of those other preachers up. He didn't name them. But we knew who he was talking to about, and he just tore them up. Uh, and then some in those Christian periodicals and circulars, they'd attack each other. I don't. This morning, I don't want to jump on one side or the other, but I do believe as Christians, we ought to be able to understand repentance is a biblical doctrine, and what does it mean to repent, and how do we, and when do we repent? Go with me back to the time, uh, because we didn't get them. How many of you, uh, how young were you when you learned to ride a bicycle? Uh, No training wheels, Brother Paul. I'm not talking about training wheels, all right? Eight years old. We didn't have training wheels. Amen. Amen. So you whippersnappers that had to have train, you did not learn to ride when you were four, Brother Alan. It did. All right. Four, Brother Andrew? Huh? Brother Andrew? Are you serious? With no training wheels? Man, we got some men's men in here. All right. You remember when you first learned to ride a bike? Did you ever fall off? Did you ever? Now watch this. And what did you do when you fell off? You got up and you got back on, didn't you? And you tried again. Did you fall off a second time? And a third time? And a fourth time? Did somebody ever teach you to do this? My older brother taught me to do this. He said, lean up against something, get your starter pedal up, and lean up against the building or something, and then you can take off. I did that one time. My dad was building an addition on the house, and so I leaned that bicycle up, and I, and I literally, I heard something tear. Eek! Well, it wasn't my sock. It was my skin because there was a nail sticking out, and when I pushed off, uh, yeah, I pushed off. You think about this, when you learned to ride a bike, when you fell, you got back on, you would have never learned to ride if you didn't get back on after you fell off. So it is with the Christian faith. I'm going to make a statement, and I've asked Brother Josh to do some things. I'm not saying we'll do this week to week, but I believe this lesson is so important that in addition to the scripture verses up on the screen, I want him to put some of the key things I want us to walk out remembering up on the screen as well. I'm going to say this, with Jesus, getting back into fellowship is always an option. 
You hear me? If you're saved and you fell and you fell into sin, with Jesus, getting back into fellowship is always an option. You may have fallen off, you may have fallen away, but you can get back easily. Uh, you think about this, it's easy for us, but it was not for Him. He had to go to Calvary's cross. He had to bleed and suffer and die. But it's easy for us to get back into fellowship with Him. Real Christians, here's something that comes up on the screen, I believe. Real Christians are frequent offenders, but regular repenters. True? So you're going to fall off. And you're going to sin. And you're going to falter. And you're going to fail. But watch this, real Christians are frequent offenders, but regular repenters. I'm not making light of sin. I don't want to do that this morning. You'll see this later on in the message. But I'm saying this, you're going to sin, and you're going to falter, and you're going to fail, but it doesn't mean it has to be final. Joyful Christians learn how to turn back to the Lord quickly and often and every time they fail or fall. They confess their sins, now let me say this to you, not to a priest, not to a pastor, but to the Lord. Don't you altar workers, if somebody, Brother Stephen, that works our altar, pastor asks you to come kneel with somebody, deal with somebody who's come, don't ever take a confession of sin. Don't ever do that. We don't confess our sins to any man. There's therefore now one mediator between God and man. Who is it? This man, Christ Jesus. Now watch this. Here's another statement. If you remember nothing else, I want you to remember this. Christians then see Jesus as someone to run to and not to run from. Back in Luke chapter number 15, here the, the prodigal son realized he went down into the pig's pen and then when he was starving and he was eating husk, and husk do not make a meal, but husk, and he thought about his father's house, how much bread even his servants had in his father's house, he said, I will arise. And he arose out of the pig pen, and he went to his father. He ran to his father, and his father ran to him. Now I want to show you very quickly, and we're going to put some scripture verses up in here. What repentance is not, repentance is not guilt, shame, or condemnation. Now, follow me. In your mind, this is not one of the Scripture verses, but Romans 8, 1 says this. There's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. That's half of the verse. So, if you are feeling condemnation or guilt or shame... If you're experiencing condemnation or shame, it's not God speaking to you. God speaks through conviction. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to what? Forgive us and cleanse us. He speaks through conviction. Number two, it's not merely regret, remorse, or self-abasement. We should regret sin and failure. But God is not looking solely for sorrow or regret. He's looking for a humble heart that he can work in. And we'll see that in Luke chapter number 15. God is trying to change your posture towards him. Look back at Luke 15. Look at what it says in verse number 19. 
I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Now listen, just a short time before he went to his dad and said, give me everything that I have coming to me. He was arrogant. He was proud. He learned some lessons in the far country and in the pig pen. His demeanor, his posture has changed. And you and I are not ready to repent until our posture towards God has changed. And that's what God is trying to do. Number three, it is not penance, it's not payment, it's not atonement, and it's not punishment. Can I say this to you? There is nothing left to pay for as a Christian. Jesus paid for it all on Calvary's cross. There's nothing more to pay for. The word atonement means complete deliverance or complete atoning. It's paid for. What sins that you and I have committed, have committed, or will committed, will commit, have not been paid for on Calvary's cross? None. They've all been paid for. Number five, and you think about this, it's not asking for forgiveness over and over again. Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. The word means the full payment for an offense for an offense. He paid for your offense and mine at Calvary's cross, Isaiah 53. It isn't regaining or reclaiming salvation. Once you and I are born into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ, you can never be unborn. You don't have to get re-saved. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 25 through 32. Nothing can separate you, so the Apostle Paul said. So we look at what repentance is not. But I want you to see this. What is biblical repentance? Look at Revelation chapter number 3. So These verses will be up on the, on the screen. Watch this. As many as I love... I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. So now this is speaking to a church, the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask you this this morning, do Christians need to repent? All right. And now I want to show you another verse, Proverbs 24, 16. For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. You're going to sin. You're going to falter. You're going to fail. What do I do at that time? The word zealous in Revelation there means to be moved with energy or earnest desire. In other words, when you and I falter and fail, we repent as we run to Jesus and beg for forgiveness. As we come to Him, that in itself is repentance. When we come to Him and we run to Him. Repentance simply means to think differently. It is acknowledgement of wrong thinking and living and acceptance of right thinking or right living. Look at 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. We're to go quickly. We'll read these. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So when we repent, we understand we turn away from what is not truth and we turn towards what is. For those who don't know Jesus, and you might be here this morning, it is a decision to turn away from anything and everything you're trusting in for, for heaven and for forgiveness sins other than Jesus alone. Amen. Not Jesus plus baptism, 
Not Jesus plus good works. Not Jesus plus church membership. That's not salvation. Salvation is putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. So if you're here this morning, you've never done it, and you're trusting the waters of baptism to save you, you should repent and trust Jesus. If you're here this morning, I, years ago in, in ministry in New Mexico, we lost a teacher rather unexpectedly. And I was thinking about whom we ought to hire. And, and I went to the pastor and gave him a list of names. And he approved of these names. And I called the first lady in. Her mom and dad were outstanding members of our church. And I said to her, tell me about when you got saved. And she said this, I have always been a Christian. Is that true of anyone? No. That lady, listen, she was a member of our church and yet, really, she needed to repent and accept Christ as Savior and be born again. And that might be you here this morning. You've never, you don't know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven. And you should turn away from anything you're trusting and turn to Jesus. Can I make a bold statement this morning? Salvation is repentance. I'm going to say it again. Salvation is repentance. When I turn and I come to Christ, in fact, you have repented. For those who don't know Jesus, Savior, then you must come. For those who know Jesus, Savior, repentance is a recurring habit of the Christian life. Agreeing with Him and allowing His Spirit to change your heart and your thinking. Repentance is a willing personal acknowledgement of sin and renewed yielding to Jesus for grace-given change. Karen just sung about it. That grace that comes to me once I'm saved refreshes me and renews me, and it excites me that the grace of God I still need each and every day. So when we repent as a child of God, and we turn away from that sin, agreeing with Him and turning towards Him, Repentance is a willful, personal acknowledgement of sin and yielding to Jesus for life-giving change and grace-giving change. What does it look like then when I repent as a Christian? Number one, thinking of your sin, acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. This wasn't a fault. This wasn't a failure. This wasn't a, a simple somebody made me do it. I sinned. Acknowledge it. That's what God asked us to do anytime we come to Him, anytime we're blaming somebody else. And can I say this to you? Be careful with this. And even those of you that are on staff or in teaching and you are a member of this church and you're in a place of leadership, be very careful with the kind of counsel we give. So many of the books that we read, even Christian authors, it is psychological counseling with a trickle or a little bit of Bible theology or Bible doctrine. God always points us back to our heart and ourselves when He's dealing with a matter of life and living, not mom and daddy. All right? Parents, we'll help you. And if you want to rear a good child, the church and ministry will pull the same direction but the truth of the matter is, if your child grows up and doesn't follow the Lord, it's not pastor's problem. It's not associate pastor's problem. It's not a Sunday school teacher's problem. They chose the wrong path. Acknowledge it. Agree with God that your sin is wrong, hurtful, and destruction. 
destructive. Number two, confess it. Now, remember to whom? A pastor? A priest? Another Christian? Now, if your sin has been directed towards another person, then you go privately and ask that person to forgive you. Then you come to God and ask Him to forgive you for what you've done. But we don't confess it to somebody. No rationalizing, no excusing, no tolerating. There are only two types of sin in the Christian's life. Confessed and condoned. Every sin of our life, we've either confessed it and it breaks sin's power in our life, 1 John 1, 9, or we condone it, we're going to live with it. I know it's not right. I know it's a sin, but I'm going to live with it because I can't get victory over it. That's condoned sin. And it watches, it, uh, it uh, does not deliver with it the ability for God to change, for, for change you in your sin. Now, acknowledge it, confess it, forsake it. Make a choice of the will to be dead and to serve. We put off the old man and put on the new man. Preacher, you just have to understand me. I have a temper. We all do. Right? So we must make a choice to put off the old man and to put on the new. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. What does that word mortify mean? To put to death by practice. Today and tomorrow, I'm going to fight that. I'm going to get victory over it. I'm going to confess it when I fault and I fail. I'm going to ask the Lord for power over that sin. Mortify, therefore, the deeds of the flesh. Remember that it is, this is the normal habit of healthy Christians. Here's a statement up here I want you to look at. You can never exhaust God's invitation to repent and return to Him. Oh, preacher, I've asked Him to forgive me a million times. Okay, come a million and one. I've asked Him to forgive me a million and one. Okay, come back a million and two. This so much blesses me. You can never exhaust God's invitation to repent and return to Him. Just come back to Him. And seek forgiveness, acknowledge it, and confess it, and forsake it. Remember that repentance alone, this is so vitally important. Repentance alone does not bring about life change. Are you with me? I repented. Now I'm changed. No, you're not. No, I'm not. Simply put, we'll look at this later on. Repentance simply means once I acknowledge and confess it and forsake that sin, that God through His Spirit, through His Word, now is able to take from me those things that I've been sinful and failing in. Go back with me if you would. Jeremiah 17. Now, go with me. How many of you? Hands up. How many of you reared children? When did you know that when you disciplined that child that it would be effective. The other day, and I laughed about this, and she's a precious little girl. I thank God for our granddaughter, Katie Ann. But I said something to her, and she gave me a look I've never seen. And Becky was holding her, and I said, I've seen that look before. I've seen that look. Miss Rogers has seen that look. And we've seen that look out of all of our children. I remember, and I'm a cruel person, I know, and a horrible, horrible dad. Karen, our first man, you know you're learning, you're learning the first one, when to spank or discipline, when not to spank or discipline. And I forgot what Karen had done. Well, she did something, and we tried to correct it by getting her to, and she was just a little tyke. We tried to get her to acknowledge it and 
make it right. She wouldn't. She got stubborn. And so I picked her up, and you know what? I began to paddle that little girl, and she threw a holy fit, a tantrum. Still does today. No. (laughs) Threw that tantrum. And, you know, I paddled her and set her down, and then she did something. And there, she couldn't. She was crying so hard, she lost her breath. (gasps) She turned like three shades of blue. (laughs) She would do that. Any of your kids ever do that? And we told the doctor, what do you do to get them to breathe again? (laughs) Uh, We splash water in her face. You know, think about, but, and then I, you know what you do? First time I ever disciplined any of my kids, and I laid down that night, and what did you think? Go with me, parents. What did you think? You're rotten. You sorry dog. Look what you did to that precious little girl. You know, girls don't do anything wrong. Don't say amen, ladies. All right? (laughs) Girls don't do anything wrong. What did you beat that little girl for? Now, watch as the Bible says. If even the Lord disciplines his children, spanks his children, and the Bible says if you're a child of God and you've never experienced the discipline of God, that you're illegitimate. So you look at this, and when you're kids, how did you know when, when that instruction was going to be beneficial? When you could tell they owned it, they received it. I'm sorry, Mom. I'm sorry, Dad. Look at Jeremiah 17. But they obeyed not, neither inclined their ear, but made their neck stiff. That's not your kids, is it? Your kids never did that. Miss Rogers' kids did. That they might not hear, nor receive instruction. All right? And so it is with, even as we walk with the Lord, our children either respond or don't respond to correction. The greatest obstacle then to growth is pride, an argumentative posture, or blaming others. My brother or sister, and you know, you have two, you have two of the same sex that are really good about that, especially if they share a room. Well, Becky, well, Karen, uh, you know, drags it. Now Josh couldn't, well, Josh could blame Becky and Karen. Uh, you think now, you think about that? Be careful when we are have done something wrong. God wants to, us to repent. We should acknowledge it. We should confess it. We should forsake it. I want to put this up there, if you would, another uh, statement. We want you to repentance is the act of taking responsibility for my sin. All right? It's a change of mind. This is critical. It's not my genetic makeup. It's not the environment, Sigmund Freud and Carl Rogers and some of these that watch this. They are the godfathers of, of thought in our schools and public universities today. They study these men who didn't believe God or the Bible, and they, they help our young people. And listen, it's not your fault when you do wrong. What does the Bible say? Every man shall give an account of himself unto the Lord. So don't blame, and, and you go back. Repentance is the act of taking responsibility. This is critical. Because repentance itself does not generate life change, but it does bring me to a place where life change is possible by the Holy Spirit. Moms and dads, go back when you were rearing that child or those children, and when that when God broke that hardened spirit, that stiff neck, and you realized that they came with a different attitude, you were excited because you knew now that you could change, you, you could help change that child, and they were on the path. Sin is pleasurable for a season. Selfishness is seductive. 
The flesh doesn't die easily or quickly. It sometimes argue with God. Is that you? God comes to you throughout the week and he convicts you of something that you're doing or something you should be doing that you're not doing. And there's Holy Spirit conviction. But then you begin to argue with God. You give him excuse why he, you can't do what God has laid on your heart. You vowed to do or the things that you're doing that you should not be doing. It doesn't die quickly or easily. We argue with God and we seek to justify our sin, deny the Holy Spirit to crucify the deeds of the flesh. Repentance is when the light of the truth comes on in your heart and you see your sin as God sees it and you do what? You run to Jesus. Here's another statement we want you there. We're going to add to this then. Repentance is the change of mind that allows God to produce a change of heart. Isn't that happened when you got saved? When you got saved, and some of you were church-going people, you were good people, and maybe you had been baptized, or you had followed some religious teaching or done some religious deed so you could give forgiveness of sin, and you heard the message of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and watch this, and you changed your mind, and that allowed God to change your heart. And you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. What is true repentance? We look at this. Too many Christians believe that God is, God is waiting to bring the hammer down. Can I say this to you? That's not the God we serve. You think our God is up in heaven just waiting to bring the hammer down on you. And sometimes I understand that we pastors and we preachers and teachers give that vibe off that God is just waiting to see you trip up. That's not the God that we serve. Our God is a gracious, loving, long-suffering God. That long-suffering leads us to what? To repentance. God is not waiting to bring the hammer down on you or me. This is not the God we serve as a child of God. The punishment concept is a distorted view of God. Look at 1 John chapter number 2, verse 2. Two stops here. 1 John 2, 2. And he is the propitiation, full payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now chapter 4 speaks also here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be that propitiation for our sins. God loves you. And as a child of God, he's not waiting to just bring that hammer down. But we do need to repent when we sin. We need to acknowledge it and confess it and forsake it and run back to him. What motivates me then to repent? Not pain. Not problems. Not threat. But the goodness of God. Look at this next statement up here. God desires you to see him as better than your sin. Isn't that good? Whatever sin it is that you're taking advantage of, whatever sin it is that you're enjoying, and the Holy Spirit of God convicts you day in and day out, you need to repent and come back to him and lay the sin at the altar and just say, Father, I want you to take this sin from me and give me victory over this sin. But preacher, I've done it and I've done it and I've done it and I've done it. You'll never exhaust the times you can come back to Jesus. But God desires you to see him better than that sin you're enjoying. 
So whatever it is, men, for some of us, and I say this to you, I read some statistics recently as we were helping some young men, and I think about this. Do you know if those statistics are true done by George Barna, that over 55% of church-going men are hooked on pornography? And so if you fire up that iPhone or you fire up that electronic device and Satan, Satan, watch you, that sexual desire is a strong pull for you and the Holy Spirit of God convicts you before you sin and you don't yield to him and you go ahead and view and, and it causes some things, stirs in your heart like it shouldn't be stirred. I used to say this, a grown men that I went to Bible college with, we worked in construction together and a pretty girl on the job site would walk by and they'd whistle and they were married to godly women. And I'd say to those men, why are you doing that? And they said this, oh, listen, we're just looking at the menu. Can I tell you this? If you're looking at the menu, one day you're going to order something. And say, preacher, I've got, a, I've got a difficulty with that, and we can help with that. I promise you with that. We can get some counsel to help you out of that. But I'm here to tell you that God desires you to see him better than the sin that you enjoy. Whatever sin that might be. And as you turn back to him, that's repentance. What hinders repentance? What is it that's going to keep us love for sin? When you love or I love my sin more than we love Jesus, we refuse to repent. There's only two motivations for repentance. Law or love. And can I say this to you? We have a God that chastens his children. He doesn't want to bring the hammer down, but he will. And if he calls you and he instructs you and, or me and he tells you, turn from that sin, lay it down, acknowledge it, confess it, forsake it, come to me for mercy and my Holy Spirit, my precious word will give you the power to get over. The Bible is a tool the Holy Spirit uses to bring about conviction and change in the life of the believer. And we come back to the Lord and we acknowledge that sin. There can be victory, but if we hold on to it and we love that sin, I say this to you. Don't take God as being so light towards sin that he would not judge your sin even though he's your Savior and he is your Father and he's your God. I don't want you to raise your hand, but my hand could go up. How many have been saved for a length of time and you experienced the chastening of God? Love for our sin Two laws that will motivate us to repent, love or law. Do you love your sin more than you love God? Then you're going to stay in it. But if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, but you say, Preacher, but I'm still bound by this, and it still has something in my heart, my life, day by day, hour by hour, week by week, month by month, if you'll come back to Him and you'll ask Him to forgive you, acknowledge it, confess it, forsake it, through His Spirit, through His Word, He'll give you grace, pay Pride or self-will, a stubborn heart that remains trapped in idolatry will garner the chastening hand of God to deliver him from the self-destructive behavior. Let me say something to you. You ever think about this? I've had, as I witnessed to an agnostic last couple of years, good man, just found out recently has pancreatic cancer. As I witnessed to him, doesn't believe our Bible, doesn't believe in church, doesn't believe in the things of the Lord. A lot of atheists or agnostics like to look at Jonah, how can we believe that, a, that a, a fish swallowed a man? Well, it's happened many times down through history. 
But number two, they say, tell me about that loving God that would allow Jonah to be thrown overboard. Can I tell you this this morning? It was the grace and mercy of God to bring that fish. Jonah was going to commit suicide. Was he not? What did he tell the men aboard? Throw me over. Did he not? Jonah knew he wouldn't survive. And he said, throw me over. It was the grace of God to bring a great fish to swallow Jonah so God could work in Jonah's heart. And God did a work in Jonah's heart. Pride or self-will. Number three, ignorance of God's goodness. Look at 1 John 5, 3. Sin is always hurtful and His commands are always helpful. Can I say it again? Sin is always hurtful and His commands are always helpful. 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not what? Oh, no, I have to go to church. Can I say this to you? You get to go to church. Was it Brother Paul or one of you men just prayed and said, Lord, thank you for the freedom to get to come to church? Can I say this to you? I mean this honestly. I'm not going to try to get political. We've got a bunch of communist and socialist running for the presidency. And I'm going to say this to you right now. They despise you. They hate you. They hate me. They hate the God that we serve. And don't think for a moment that they wouldn't pass some laws that would tell us we have to change the way that we do church and what we say and what we don't say. And don't take for an, a second that in America, preachers and teachers and faithful Christians. Did you read what I read? Go home and check it out. In Canada, a Christian woman had some co-workers she was working with and they were going into the gay lifestyle and she posted some verses. She was arrested. She has a court date because she posted some verses from the Word of God on the gay and lesbian lifestyle. Ignorance of God's goodness. You think about that. What hinders? Sin is always helpful and His commandments uh, hurtful and His commandments always helpful. Number four, sin's pleasures. Sin just has to, you say, preacher, what is going to keep me from repenting and, and giving God that, uh, acknowledging that sin, confessing it and forsaking it? Sin's pleasures. Sin just doesn't hurt me enough yet to break my idolatry. I'm not to the bottom of the barrel yet. I'm not to the end of my rope yet. I'm just going to hang on. That's not Repentance. And God does not and cannot help you. First John, as we close, look at this. Why repentance is repetitive. First John 2, 1 and 2. Look at what it says here. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. How many of you, that first part of that verse, you say, Preacher, I made it this week. I went through the whole week and I didn't sin. Hands up. Uh-oh. He told you not to sin. And you went out and sinned. I think that's all of us. That we sin not, and if any man sin, we have a what? An advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. What does that mean? 
God is transforming our behavior. And as you and I authentically grow in grace, we will sin less. That's true. But sin stronghold in your life will weaken and loosen as we yield to Him and yield to Him and confess it to Him and come back to Him and come back to Him. It'll lessen, it'll loosen. What does this teach us about victory over sin? Victory will be incremental. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It's going to have to... You're not just going to get saved and automatically... God's going to clean you up the next week. But it's incremental. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now stop. You remember what we learned last week? How do you know you're growing? Don't compare yourselves with somebody else. How do we know we're growing? If you're being faithful, you're growing. Isn't that good? If you're in the Word of God, if you're in church, if you are praying... You're growing. And it says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, uh, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Some days you won't feel like you've gained ground. Others days you will. Most days you'll wonder if you're gaining. How many of you is there? You say, preacher, that's me. Some days I wonder, am I gaining? I want to. I want to bring Him glory. I don't want to, I want to get rid of this sin. I don't take no pleasure in it. But I wonder sometimes if I'm gaining. Number two, victory will be seasonal. Look at Philippians 1, 6. This is a verse most of us committed to memory. Being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him six days to make the... Help me, Brother Stephen. Help me, Miss Moon and the stars, Jupiter and Mars. But God's still working on me. He's a preacher, not me. I got that figured out. Well, God bless you. Why don't you sneeze on some of us who won't have it figured out yet so we can gain some of your holiness. It'll be seasonal. God knows what He's doing in your life. God knows. And child of God, you can't repent too often. You can't come back to Him too often. You're not going to exhaust His grace. Apostle Paul said, that grace is sufficient for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9. There's a lot of growth ahead. Number three, victory will not always be measurable. This is true in your eyes and sometimes in the eyes of others. Hebrews 12, 2 this talks about wherefore seen we're so compassed about with so great a cloud of it. Looking unto what? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to say this to you. Stop looking at somebody else and wonder why they haven't arrived where you are. And then, child of God, look at your life. There's areas for you and I to look, to look at and God convicts us and confess it and forsake it. And come back to him. Lastly, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Victory will one day be final. Huh? Any of you still fight the old flesh? Raise your hand. Any of you still fight the Adamic nature, the carnal nature? But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. One day you and I, those that know Christ as Savior, will give when that which is fleshly is laid in the ground. That seed the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. When that is mortal, when this mortal shall have put on immortality, 
Then is swallowed up that saying, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? What's he say? But because of the Lord Jesus Christ, one day we'll have a glorified body that will never sin, never falter, or never fail. Good news, Christians. You're never more than one step away from repentance of God. Now, I'm going to say it to you. Would you say this together as we close this morning? Good news, Christians. You are never more than one step away from repentance from God. Run to Him. Preacher, I don't know. I've come back and I've come back and I've come back. There was that father each and every day. I believe he went on that old porch and he looked down that road. He's praying every day, God, send my son home. Send my son home. And one day he looked out there and there was somebody coming home and he looked tattered and his beard was grown and, and he looked at him and was he a vagrant? Was he a tramp? And maybe daddy just got up just a little bit to see who that was. When he realized it was his son, he ran to him. He embraced him him. He killed the fatted calf. He put the robe on him. He put a ring on his finger. And can I say this to you? No matter how far you get away from God, if you're truly saved, you can run back to him. And that God, that, that Savior that you embraced for salvation will run to you. Repentance should not cause us to run away from Jesus, but run to him. Good news. You are never more than one step of repentance away from God. I ask you this this morning as we close. Which direction are you headed? Away from God or towards God? Because you're headed one. If you're headed towards God and you say, Preacher, I faltered and failed, just get back on the, on, the, on the bike. Just get back on. Ask for forgiveness. If you're going away from God, I'm going to say this to you. Let me tell you what you can experience. You're going to get to the place just like the prodigal son. You're going to waste your substance on riotous living, and you're going to find out all the devil's apples have worms. He's lied to you. At that point, when you reach the end of your rope, you come back, and your father will embrace you still in faith.